In the city, Auckland used to be known as Little Polynesia. Yet while in 1979 about 45% of the Pacific Island population lived in the inner suburbs like Ponsonby and Freemans Bay and Grey Lynn, by 2018 that figure was more like 2%. Yet despite the changes, the inner city remains defiantly a place of belonging, connection and culture for New Zealand's Pacific peoples. In her series on the Renews website called Still Here, director Litea Louis Tui Burelevu takes us inside the homes, the centres, the churches that carry forward the different island community stories and cultural traditions. The first series was released last year and a just-released second series has just launched and we have links to both uh, on Culture 101 on our webpage. Latia is not just a filmmaker, she's a lawyer, a writer and she's been a professional teaching fellow at the University of Auckland's Faculty of Law teaching on Pacific peoples and the law and she joins me now. Kia ora Latia, welcome to, to, welcome to Culture 101. Kia ora Mark, thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you here. Um, congratulations on this remarkable series. Thank you. Uh, it seems quite personal because you, you grew up in Williamson Ave in Grey Lynn, didn't you? Yes, yeah, I grew up there um, and in Ponsonby on Clarence Street for a little <laughs> bit as well. So yeah, personal connection to this series, which is, I guess, what fueled me to want to make it. It's, it's changed a lot, hasn't it? I was living there in the late 80s, early 90s, where it was mostly us university students and a lot of Pacific Island families, mm. but it was already changing. Um, mm. So you, you moved away at some time? Yeah, moved over um, onto the North Shore, actually. Um, my grandmother is over there. So, yeah, for um, kind of needed to be closer to her when it is, I was getting into becoming a teenager with my mum. Um, but now I, was, I live back in Kingsland. So, uh, yeah, back, right. at, back in the inner city again, which is nice. So has it been a, a period of, for you coming back personally as well? I mean, it's interesting with your series that we see these strongholds of Pacific Island culture and people mm-hmm. still return. Has it been the same for you? Yeah, I mean, it's. I've always been kind of in the city for work and for uni, um, but living back there now as like an adult, uh, it is really beautiful to still see pockets of the Pacifica community still around the inner city, although it feels like every year it's, you know, a new big <laughs> new housing development is being built, these new cafes and shops opening, like it is constantly changing a lot. Yeah, so how did the series start? How did Still Here begin? It's quite a long time ago now. I think the easiest way for me to pinpoint the the genesis of it was in 2017. Um, Mum and I were shopping on Ponsonby Road and there was a Nguyen woman, who, um, older woman who was walking past and just sort of randomly struck up, struck up a conversation with me. And she was talking about how she lived nearby um, with her family and her children, but that real estate agents were constantly pestering them to sell their home um, and like putting, you know, flies in the letterbox, calling them, you know, knocking on the door multiple times a week and really like trying to push them out. And she felt that, you know, there was a, a, it was very targeted to her and her family, but also that there were others that were experiencing something similar. And that just sort of, started to trigger something in me that, yeah, I didn't feel right about that, didn't feel right at all, but it, it, it was like, okay, what could, what could a response be to this or what, what need, yeah, what could I, how could I contribute to sort yeah. of combating this in some way? It, it's really difficult, isn't it? In yeah. your first series, you've, you've got, the, I think, the Falau family in mm. Herm Bay, you know, they've got a house, I think, um, 
the, uh, the grandmother dies, they've got a house that's worth about $3 million, mm. um, which you know, at one point they talk about, you know, it cost a $1,000 deposit in the 70s. It's now like they'd have to scrape together $20,000 to buy it. Mm. Um, all that work, all that time, all that culture embedded in these homes, is, it's a, it must be very difficult for, for, for the generation now sometimes who are still in, 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 mm. in the inner city. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so many of the homes and the places that we went to for the series, I mean, they're just almost like museums. They're <laughs> just they're so beautiful like the way that they've been kept, but also how the the families like cherish the legacies of people who have family members who have come before them with all the family photos and so many of the family archives and just keeping a lot of the interior and the exterior, you know, as it was back in the 70s and the 80s. So, yeah, yeah that, that preservation of, of legacy for future generations is, I think, what keeps a lot of the families there, but also understanding, you know, the financial pressures that may be put on families that, you know, force them to have to sell or need to move out, you know, we, we understanding of those realities as well and don't want to necessarily have to romanticise that too much. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, romanticise, you know, that in the series where we want to be honest about that too. Yeah, I guess it's thinking around realising that often these are more than just homes for one family, that, that, mm. the, that you know, the homes were had very much an open door to, to other families arriving from the Pacific, yeah. Um, mm. But, I, like, for example, the last remaining Carver Club, and um, I think it's Grey Lynn at the moment. Could you tell us about that, Fano? Yeah, that's the Kolo Matangi family, a Tongan family. And their, their, uh, when their grandparents uh, came in the, the 70s, they uh, purchased that home uh, in Grey Lynn, but also were very interconnected with the church up on Richmond Road. And the, the, the establishment of the Carver Club and the church really go hand in hand as explored in the episode. And that was the first Vaikava uh, group to be established in Aotearoa as well as being the first wow. church, uh, Tongan church established in Aotearoa as well. And that both of those groups and the church and the the Kava Club have served, you know, the Tongan community in particular for many, many generations. And it was a, a very special story to be invited both into their home and to the church as well. That must have been amazing going along. Did, were you aware of the Kava Club growing up? Was that part of your time? No, not uh, no, I wasn't um, aware of that actually. But as I got older, I knew that you know there was you know you hear about oh there's the the Tongan family who have uh, their club there, and it was you know really amazing to be able to go into their space and just yeah. to see them on a, on a typical cover night and go into the church for what was their White Sunday um, and get an invitation into that world. It was it was really special. How many people would go along to the Carver Club there? Uh, so they have uh, they run a few nights a week, uh, and it it can really range. I mean, it, sometimes we were there, and there would be about twenty. Um, we went for the the Wednesday night, so there was about twenty or so men there. But people kind of flow in throughout mm. the night, so the numbers can kind of go go up and down depending on the time. Yeah, you you, you mentioned the church, and on a Sunday, um, and you know th- this area is full of of of, of churches, uh, full of Pacific Island communities that have been there a long time. I understand quite a few have probably closed, but there's still quite a lot of Pacific Islanders coming around from Auckland to the inner city, Auckland to church. Yeah, that was uh, something really important for us to have in the second season was this idea that you know still here. 
really also includes members of our community who come into the inner city really frequently for church or community groups or things like um, the Richmond Rovers Rugby League Club as well. Yeah. That those, you know, those people are still part of the inner city community in many ways because they spend so much time here through school or training or church as well and they're still very important. Those places are still very important hubs and cultural links for the community or the wider Pacifica community around Tamaki Makoto. Yeah, so just because the homes go, the, the churches don't necessarily, or the, or the rugby league club is a really great example in Grayland Park where, you know, it's it's a chance to be in that on that on that whenua every every week, right? Yeah, I mean the the loyalty and the just the commitment that so many of those generations of members have to that rugby league club, club is super special, and you know everyone talks about you know the club being more than just a rugby league club. It's about family, mm. um, it's about being together, and also the importance of continuing you know the legacies of members who have played before them and wanting to carry on. You know the, that kind of intergenerational commitment and loyalty to the club is what makes it so special. Is there a, do you get the sense, because you, you, you've been able to be a, a bit of a fly on the wall as a documentarian, that that, they, that it's inevitable some of these institutions that you're going to are going to close? I mean, or, or, or do you feel like they are defined and they will continue? Is, is there a sense of sadness or do you really feel that this is, we're here and we're staying? I'm an optimist, so I, I really feel like they're, they're such strong. They're so strong. All of these, you know, family home spaces mm. in, in what they're doing, what motivates them, what drives them, um, and they're so grounded in their, uh, in their community and in their culture. And I think the the real intention of still here is, you know, we we shine a light on you know the history, but also it's about what's present and then what the future holds. And all of these, everyone that we spoke mm. to was so committed to you know, keeping those spaces, but also evolving them for future generations in whatever way that they need to. But I mean, as many of that the, they say in the episodes, um, you know, no amount of money could make them, you know, sell their properties. It, it's something it's more than money to them. There's such an important cultural link that they have um, to, you know, generations past and also generations future, and that's what drives them to stay there. So I'm yeah. hopeful they'll, they'll remain, um, but also evolving as well, which was really interesting to see. Yeah, I was I was totally inspired watching the Still Here series. I mean, the first one um, is, is a great introduction. Uh, it's a new way in community house called Fina'one Hakapu um, mm. there in um, Elgin Street, I think it is. Ariki no? Street. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ariki Street in Graylin. Mm. Um, really remarkable that um, that's been around for so many decades and is this this heart of the Nguyen community, but was what it was originally based from a, one village in Nue that has founded it and such an, a vibrant culture there with a lot of young people like the the poet Jackie uh, Lecky Jackson Burke uh, there and all these these young leaders it was very inspiring mm, that was an amazing episode when Lecky come came to us and said um, you know we'd like to be part of the series you know we've got this beautiful house that we've still got at the top of Ariki Street but we're really fighting to preserve Vangahonue, uh, the Nguyen language and the culture and the house being this really important space for them to come together to sing, to dance, to speak Nguyen to learn from each other It's you see all the generations come through that house all the time that was um, a really special episode to highlight for us you know the 
the fight to preserve, um, you know, endangered Pacific languages and hopefully yeah. inspire as well, you know, the kind of the movement that they're, they're really hoping to grow to encourage more young Nguyen people into the language, into the culture. And that's been a really beautiful response that we've had to that episode as well as people calling in and or messaging us and saying, you know, that's really uh, helped inspire them wanting to learn about their Nguyen language and their culture. Yeah, no, no, remarkable. The second episode is is quite different in a way because it concerns Samoa House in Karangahapi Road, which is a remarkable building with this, what I think was the first fale built outside of Samoa, um, mm-hmm. and that is still owned by the Samoan government, uh, or opened, I think even Rob Muldoon during the time of the Dawn yes. Raids opened <laughs> it in 1978. Um, but it's been languishing for a few years, hasn't it? Yeah, Samoa House or the Malta Samoa on Karangahapi Road is it's a really unique space and there's a lot of layers to the story and we, we don't necessarily touch on all of them in the episode and there was a great article that was a companion piece published on uh, Renews that goes in deeper into some of those layers about the complexities of the Malta Samoa. But yeah, as you said, unfortunately for the past few decades it has been sort of languishing. It hasn't had a lot of uh, sort of katiakitanga around it. Um, As Bonnie and Olive, you know, show us in the episode and the Rev um, as well, a lot of the cultural taonga are being, you know, not really well kept for. Um, The space is falling into a little bit of disrepair. So questions about how it can be restored um, and revived uh, are really you know, at the forefront for that community at the moment, hoping to reclaim and revitalise Malta Samoa. Well, I, I I do hope that's all going to happen. That's going to be exciting to see hopefully happen. I know there are a lot of artists there with the Samoa House Library and others who are kind of holding that space at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of wonderful. Now we're going to play, we're going to finish off um, by playing a, a track from Diggy Dupe, who's a hip-hop artist who was born and bred in Graylin. And I, it's just, I thought, worth reflecting, I, I think, that the, the culture that is not just preserved is very much a contemporary culture, Pacific Island culture in Graylin, right? Yeah, um, and that was the whole, yeah, I think that's part of the purpose of this series is to highlight, you know, the contemporary Pacifica existence and all its many facets and the different cultures as well. You know, there's Samoan, there's Tongan, there's Nguyen, um, there's a, you know, thriving Tokelauan community, uh, Fijians there as well. So we don't get to highlight everyone in these, this series, but there's such a rich cultural tapestry in you know, in inner city Tamaki Makoto with our Pacifica community and it's very contemporary, it's very thriving and excited to see, you know, what comes next. Oh Latia, thanks for joining us and thank you for the wonderful series. It's on Renews, it's called Still Here. Kia ora, thank you for joining us on Culture One O One. Thank you.